when the thing that you're looking at is bigger than anything you've seen before and you're lost and don't know what to do, wouldn't it be nice to get an actual glimpse of what's happening in all of the realms, seen and unseen? Right. Because what a what I bet it would be a giant comfort, even if there were eyes within eyes, within wheels, within wings, within things. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are our friends Karen. Yes. And Tracy. Good morning. And Amy. Hello. Hello. We've just been talking about a mushroom log. Heck yeah. I never knew that there was such a thing as a mushroom log that you could specifically like plant or or use for for mushrooms. That's uh, well, neither just, did I. They pre-inoculate it and send it to you, and with whatever you know strain of mushrooms you're you're shooting for. And and so I got the fun kind from college, and I'm going to put them in my mom's salad. <laughs> <laughs> Your mom listens to this, you know. <laughs> well. This won't come out for a while, and by then. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, you can buy boxes of manure that are impregnated with uh, mushroom strains, and then the mushrooms just start popping out of the cardboard sides of them. I tried that first. (laughs) I did. I tried that first. I got her one of those for Christmas, and she had a blast. Um, (laughs) That's, oh, that's cool. For the lay for the lay people, poopy mushrooms. Uh, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We're going to talk about Ezekiel and something very similar. So, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think this is that far off topic, honestly. Although yeah. <laughs> I have come up with an alternate title for today's podcast. I don't know if you usually title them by the range of scripture that we're reading, in which mm-hmm. case it would be Ezekiel one through four. But I think that we should call this episode "Why You Don't Put LSD on Your Pizza." <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure we haven't offended our millions and millions of listeners. <laughs> oh my stars! Oh, I can tell it. One yeah, I'm thinking something. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, with that, let's uh, let's dive right into this topic because we have some strange stuff to talk about today. Uh, as Karen said, we are going to be talking about Ezekiel chapters one through four. Now, this backs up in our chronology again. We've been talking about how Israel and Judah fell, got captured, got, got carried away and whatnot. But Ezekiel falls uh, early in, earlier on in the taking over of Judah. It said it's in the fifth year of Jehoiachin's reign. So Jehoiachin was, oh, he's been a few kings ago, actually. And um, so... The notes in my Bible said this is about 605 B.C. And so this is about the time when when uh, Babylon was starting to come in and carry off some of the uh, Israelites. And Ezekiel has the strangest thing I think we ever have talked about. Maybe the strangest thing we ever will talk about in the Bible. He gets this bizarro vision just just bonkers crazy vision and amy since you're our prophecy enthusiast why don't you tell us specifically what that vision means <laughs> well I, I i was kind of startled last week when you said that i knew something particular about ezekiel because i don't feel at all mm-hmm. adequate to talk about it but at the same time i'm intrigued mm-hmm. and what i thought about it was he gets this vision of God and he actually has a theophany. Like he sees something, uh, some sort of vision of the deity. Probably he didn't actually see the deity, but it was somehow conveyed to his mind. And from then on, he has absolute confidence. Like he's not scared of anything now, right? Because he knows that God is in control. And it is, it's a wild vision. And people have tried to interpret it and paint paintings of it. And try and understand what it is, but it's this all-encompassing power that moves uh, at its own will. It has nothing that directs it. It directs itself, which is sort of the the idea of the I am, you know, the the great almighty God. So I guess that's what I would say about it. (laughs) I would say, too, I don't think you'd be afraid of anything after seeing something like that. 
Yeah, it is so it's right. so so it strange. Is, it is very strange, and I couldn't even. I was trying to think about while I was reading it, and I read it a few more times, just trying to even get a mental picture of it. I couldn't. Right. I did that too. Yeah. So let me let me try to describe this thing. And Amy, good on you for actually. I was kind of joking when I said give us a specific <laughs> rundown of this thing because because. Uh, I mean, even when you're reading it, like Tracy said, you're trying to picture the thing and you can't. And my Bible even has a a, a painting that somebody tried to do of this thing. And it is so mm -hmm. weird. I'm thinking I'm thinking whoever painted this thing must have been on LSD when they tried to paint it or something. I don't know, because it is bizarre. <laughs> it is just bizarre. And so the the it's titled, at least in my Bible, the, the, the section here is titled Ezekiel's Vision of God. And so I don't know if this is him seeing something that's representing God specifically. I don't know if that means that it's a vision from God, but it is It is definitely, man, it is so strange. So he gets this vision of this whirlwind coming out of the north. And these four, what are described as living creatures, and I mean, that's about the best you can give it, because I'm not ready to call these angels, because we've talked here about how when usually when we see the word angel described as something, we see it described as more like looking like a man, not necessarily a creature with wings. You know, we hear of cherubim, we hear of seraphim, but not necessarily those creatures as quote unquote angels, which angel just means messenger. So, you know, we have a we have a mm, a stylized vision of angels in our head through popular culture that really doesn't exist in the Bible. And so whatever these things are. I don't know, but they're four living creatures. It's like they have the body of a human being, each one of these things, a body of a human being. They have four faces, uh, a face of a human, a face of a lion, a face of an ox, and a face of an eagle. And when I say faces of these things, the way Ezekiel puts it is like unto. So I take that being him saying, yeah, it's something like that, but not exactly. And so they have four wings. Apparently, they have calves' feet, which is weird. They have hands with arms under the wings. But calves' feet made of what appears to be burnished metal, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this thing is just so strange. And so, with those four wings, they have two wings that it seems to me are stretched out and touching the wings of, of the creature next to them. And then two wings that, like, cover up their body. And they... I don't know. It almost seems like maybe they're back to back. That's kind of the depiction of the painting I saw where they're sort of back to back. And then as they move, like they don't turn their head, they don't turn their bodies. They just, it's like they can move in any direction, but they don't turn if that makes sense. And, and so, um, well, and they move in, in every direction rapidly. It says they go back and forth like lightning. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, mm -hmm. they're super quick. And then there's these wheels. Just tell me how this works. I don't even know. These wheels that are, he says it's like a wheel within a wheel. And there's eyes on the rims of the wheels. And these wheels move with the creatures. Right. When that and, moves up, they move up. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it's almost like I didn't get the impression necessarily that they're like riding on these wheels. But like they're just there with them. I don't know, but if they move up, I mean, if they move up and down, these wheels move with them. Uh, if they side to side, diag yeah, I don't know, but these things go with them. Uh, I have no idea. I mean, you try to, you try to, you try to picture these things, and you can't. I, I, I don't know how Ezekiel made any sense of this other than well, and maybe you know him trying to describe it when he says, "Yeah, it was kind of like this." It's the best that's, he can that's do. That's what stands out to me is that he he just keeps saying, and it was like, and it was like, um, and then also things that jump out are, you know, he talks about a fire enfolding itself, just incredible, incredible power. But also these things are symbolic. I mean, there's a sense in which they make some sort of sense to us. You know, these wings are like what we associate with the divine, right? Like angels, that kind of thing. And then mm -hmm. I kind of was wondering about, you know, all these different representations, the lion, the calf, the man, they sort of 
the mind of God because he he is in everything that he created like not in a pantheistic way but his mind made all those things the the mind of all the creatures not just humans and the abilities of all the creatures and then I guess too just what Karen brought up it it turns wherever it wills like and it has this all these eyes like you talked about which to me represents it's very intelligent like and that would be what we associate with god there's a rationality to it even though it seems so wild mm. and maybe the implication is it can see everything at once mm-hmm. yeah i i think we're in full-on speculation mode here um, oh yes. yep yep <laughs> I, I mentioned that i mentioned the lsd and pizza thing right <laughs> yeah it's like what okay. did you eat before you went to bed that night ezekiel i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i mean this thing is this is trippy stuff mm-hmm yeah, it's it's so strange. Now, you know, you were talking about those faces, uh, Amy. And mm-hmm. for some reason, when I'm when I'm reading about those faces, I kept thinking of some of the beasts of uh, 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 Daniel and Revelation. Yeah, um, I kept thinking of that new statue they put up outside the UN building. Have you guys seen that? No. no. Oh, my goodness. Look up pictures of it. It's like, are you trying to fulfill biblical prophecy by, like, stirring up a bunch of creatures into, oh, dear. Yeah, you should put wings on that. No, look it up. It is the strangest prophetic-looking beast creature you've ever seen. And they built it and stuck it right outside the UN. And I was just like, wow. I feel like we're going a strange direction in this world. Hmm. Huh. Let's check that out. Yeah. Yeah. So... So, I mean, the short <laughs> the short version of what we're saying here is that Ezekiel saw something and nobody has ever been able to pin down what what any of it means. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've heard all kinds of wild things like these. And maybe I'm thinking of a different um, I might be thinking of a different vision. So correct me if I'm wrong. But th- those wheels within wheels, I've heard of some people thinking of like UFOs and. Right, anti-gravity or whatever. Yeah, you know, trying to make trying to make some kind of of you know literal sense out of it, and I suspect that we're really not supposed to. I think uh, I think I think there's all kinds of things open to interpretation right now. Maybe we'll get an get get a better um, idea of what any of it means somewhere down the road. But uh, at this point, everybody speculates about what all this stuff means, what it is what in the world he was seeing and it seems like maybe even ezekiel doesn't quite know what he's seeing he just says i think how did he put it he says something about it being the likeness of the glory of the lord or something like that or maybe that he's talking about the fire of it anyway you know because we've talked about how fire you know it's like god is fire a consuming fire and so i don't know there's a lot of a lot of things to contemplate here it's kind of fun to sit and wonder what it all means but i don't think anybody has really given a good breakdown of what any of this imagery means and then maybe it's just something we're supposed to wonder about supposed to contemplate the other chapters that we read today were more contemporary to what was happening at the time Mm -hmm. did you guys get a sense of whether this initial vision was something that was happening in that moment or was far in the future or just that it was the supernatural that people can't normally see and maybe this is actually fairly typical of what goes on behind the scenes like did you guys get any thing like that as you were reading it i didn't i just felt it was like a vision that was he was just having just at the moment and you know because he couldn't understand what was what was going on and i couldn't understand from reading it what was going on that i couldn't read into it any more than that yeah what about you, Amy? I guess I just think that the the idea is that they are a conquered nation. Everything is falling apart around them, and they can't see God's hand in all of this. And suddenly this young man gets this vision of God, and it's almost like a, oh, God mm. is in control. I've mm. seen him, and all of this other stuff is so minor by comparison to what he is and then that vision takes away all his fear boy what a great reality check that would be i want one of those 
<laughs> right, right, right. It's just, it's a hundred percent. God is present and he's in control. Yeah. Yeah. Like It's one of those things that, you know, as a Christian, like, you know, that in your head, but if you've never actually mm -hmm. seen the supernatural, like, where's your scale of comparison? Yes. Right. And so when something big starts happening right in front of you, maybe bigger than you've ever experienced before, and there's all this mystery and hubbub surrounding it, your first reaction could easily be one of fear because this is the biggest thing you've seen to date. But if you ever really got a glimpse, do you, do you guys remember that story? Was it was it um, was it Elijah or Elisha? I think it was Elisha with the angel armies. Do you remember that? Like he was in a city and he had a servant oh, with him. He and, takes the servant up on the wall. Yeah, and the servant is freaking out, and he says, "No, no, mm -hmm. we're okay." And and the servant says, "You know, how can you be so sure?" And he says, "Well, the, you know, the amount of with with us is greater than the amount that is with them." And so he takes him up to the wall. And he prays for God to open his servant's eyes. And the servant yes. sees the angel armies that are surrounding the city and the opposing army that's coming to get them. So that's that's what I'm getting at. Like when the thing that you're mm -hmm. looking at is bigger than anything you've seen before and you're lost and don't know what to do, wouldn't it be nice to get an actual glimpse of what's happening in all of the realms, seen and unseen? Right. Because what a what exactly. I bet that would be a giant comfort, even if there were eyes within eyes, within wheels, within wings, within things. Yeah. Yeah. So it was hard. It was hard to tell what exactly what we were seeing. I wondered if those, like I said, I wondered if those faces didn't represent some kingdoms or something down the road. But I don't know. The the moving around, whichever way it wanted to go, kind of threw me off. But it seems to be safe to say that Ezekiel understood that this was not just some crazy fever dream that he was having, that this was something from God, <laughs> um, that that he was seeing he was seeing something important. And even if he didn't understand what it was, it's still I don't know, maybe it gave him some confidence to know, you know, where these messages were coming from. Maybe it just gave him a sense of awe of the supernatural you know, getting a glimpse at it that most of us don't get. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. We're not, and we're not really given any indication anywhere of what any of it means, but it sure is interesting. I just have one thought, and that's in verse one. He says, I was by the river Chebar, and the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. And so to me, it seems different from other, like, prophecies, per se, where you're trying to... Uh, see the future or understand God's hand in history, etc. To me, it seems more like this was an actual theophany. Like he yeah. saw visions of God, it says. So I don't, I don't really feel that we need to try to understand all the symbolic portions of it. But what we should try to understand is the God is somehow revealing aspects of himself to Ezekiel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And we don't have to understand it. Well, no, that God... <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting something more from you, Amy. I'm sorry, but you're disappointing <laughs> me. <laughs> no, no, nobody, nobody, nobody knows exactly what this stuff means. But now it says that the spirit, he said the spirit entered me. Once we get into chapter two, he says the spirit entered me. I just, I don't know why, but I kept going back to that phrase. The spirit entered me. I mean, obviously Ezekiel is a prophet. Obviously he is getting he's getting an interaction that most of us don't get i won't say that most of us can't get i suppose we could you know why do some get it and others don't uh that's not for me to decide but the but the phrase of it just i just found it interesting i don't know why it, it kept interesting. yeah i don't know why it kept coming back to me but um this interaction that he's having with god is obviously something special you know it's i don't think it's the it's not the common commonplace maybe it ought to be more common maybe maybe it doesn't happen because we're a bit closed off to it i don't know but he says that he was he's going he's being sent to the rebellious children of israel and they point out it points out that israel has been rebellious since the start ever since the exodus even like like immediately at the exodus we saw that they they immediately started down this path that's led them to where they are where they're they're barely out the gates of israel across the red sea Ooh, and they were on 
on that so many times that we continuously saw that it was like, what are you doing? But we mm-hmm. saw that repeatedly over and over. And even when they became a, a kingdom and, and had a, and got a King, it was still the same. Mm-hmm. It's so strange to me looking, you know, looking at it, reading it. And of course, you know, we, we put these pictures in our heads and, you know, we probably get influenced by the movies that have been made about those things and stuff. But you're like, you're just thinking you saw amazing things happen and you still bowed down to a stupid golden calf that you made when you pulled, you know, out of the earrings and stuff you pulled out of your ears. And, and, and so, you know, to our eyes and ears, when we, when we read it and talk about it, it just doesn't make any sense to us. It just has me wondering what the experience was actually like for these people. How could they not have been convinced especially that first generation, you can get several generations down, you know, and people will stop listening to their great grandparents stories and things like that. Then I can sort of get it, but it's, but he's like, no, they've been, they've been rebellious since the very beginning. Yeah. In As, spite of the column, in spite of the, the plagues in Egypt, in spite of the crossing of the Red Sea, in spite of the pillar of fire and the pillar of flame, in spite of the manna, in spite of the quail and the water from the rock, you know what I mean? Like how long is this list of things that they were, that, you know, their shoes didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out while they wandered around for a generation or two. This yeah. is crazy amount of miracles right in their face. And yet they're just continually dissatisfied and longing for whatever it is that they don't have in that moment. Right. That kind of makes me think about that passage where Jesus is talking to Thomas and he says, you know, you have felt my side and, you know, you've touched me after the resurrection. Blessed yeah. are those who have not seen and yet yes. believe. Because yeah. I, I kind of cling to that. Like we have not been given those privileges necessarily. And and that's um, it's like God kind of honors the fact that we are way down the line and we haven't seen some of those things. And he he respects the fact that we believe. Does that make sense? Yeah, sometimes we sometimes we need a little evidence and God's OK with mm-hmm. that. Uh, he's not asking us to to just believe blindly. And so even Thomas, when he was like, I don't know, it just seems so crazy. And then, and then, you know, and then he's like, oh, wait, this is Jesus. This is the guy who was on the cross and got got jabbed with the spear and all that. And and that was, yeah, his belief was still honored by God. And so, yeah, I like I like that God says, yeah, you know, you want some evidence? I'll, I'll give you some evidence. Well, I just wondered if we could go back a little bit to verse three when he calls him son of man. He yeah. said, I found that phrase interesting and I was curious about it. So I was looking it up and it says that he that the scripture basically always calls Ezekiel son of man in the Hebrew word Ben Adam. So literally son of Adam, hmm. which is interesting because, of course, that's what C.S. Lewis calls uh, all the humans in yes. the Chronicles of Narnia. But then um, so I was curious if it was the same word that's used for Jesus because Jesus calls himself son of man, but it's not. He uses a different word. It's one that means one who is part of the, like he's among us in our fallen state. And Mm. I thought that was super interesting. It's almost like he's saying, I'm with you in, in your fallen place. So Jesus calls himself. I'm among the fallen. Whereas Mm. he's calling Ezekiel son of Adam. Isn't that interesting? That is. I was wondering about that too. I didn't. I didn't get so far as to <laughs> look up the differences, though. I just. I just kind of assumed it was the same, the same term, you know. And I always did kind of wonder why Jesus called himself that, and why there are a lot of times in Scripture where he, basic human beings are just called uh, "son of man." And so that is interesting. It is actually uh, a different phrase. That's good. Well, one of the, one of the things that was interesting when we had previously studied or when, you know, when we were studying Daniel, was the fact that Jesus uses the exact phrase that Daniel uses for son of man, which means that he's identifying himself as the one the prophecies foretold. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. See, these original languages had a lot more subtlety. We get son of man, and and so far, in five minutes, we've talked about three different things that they were actually saying in the background. Yeah. Right, right. Well. Well, I think it's pretty much any language. I mean, here, you know, in English, we've got words that mean a 
bunch of different things too and you have to put them into their context to know exactly what you're talking about and for somebody who doesn't speak the language you know it's probably kind of difficult to figure out those nuances so yeah that or is the interesting. lack of nuances like Sometimes. we use the word we use the word love so freely i love oh, chocolate yeah. you know yeah. that was the first one that came to mind was love yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so he's being sent to these rebellious children of israel and this was interesting to me too. So whether they hear or whether they refuse, yeah, they'll know that a prophet has been among them. So there's not going to be. It seems to me there's not going to be any doubt that they are going to understand that Ezekiel is a prophet. But there is a good chance they won't listen. So um, recently, I taught a study class on the Bible, and we were talking about one of the things that came up. As we were talking about how do you address matters of faith with people who don't have faith? Like, how do you do that? And I was surprised, and I'm not going to lie, a little bit horrified at how many people in this in this in this group that I was with said, "Well, if the if somebody doesn't believe, they just don't believe." So I mean, there's no point in even talking to them about it. And I thought of this verse, and I was yeah. like, "No." No, our job as Christians, whether we're whether we're conducting in reach or outreach, our job as Christians is to try to create engagement and curiosity about the fact that there might be more than what this person knows. Mm -hmm. Right. Because to, to sit back and just sort of blithely say, well, I mean, clearly they've already decided what they've decided and there's no use trying to reach out. That is not our call. So not our judgment call. And so I really, I really appreciated that in the wake of that discussion and me sitting there and like going it. And there were probably a half a dozen times when people, <clears throat> when people expressed that. And I kind of had to gulp and be like, no, guys, I, I think, I think the job is always to lift Jesus high, whether that's in our words or our actions. Yeah. And so, so I like this part where it said, you say it. Their response is up to them. But if I tell you to say it and you don't, the responsibility for their blood lies on you. Still yeah. their choice. Still their choice. But the responsibility for not speaking lies on you. Yeah. I'm excited about what you just said, Karen, because I have run into that argument because you feel like, okay, I'm dealing with the whole world of postmodern thought, which is the scriptures aren't true. You know, Jesus wasn't even a real guy, all that kind of stuff. And I was just going to tell how C.S. Lewis talked about when he confronted that thought, <clears throat> as soon as most of them found out that there was a science in the scriptures and that there were people whose career was to try and verify the oldest copy of the book of John or whatever, that they suddenly were very interested. And, and you just don't know what's going to make someone understand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have an ongoing discussion of creation versus evolution as science, you know, as human science develops and reveals different things. And, you know, humans get our, our little brains about different uh, around different aspects of human function or genome, whatever. And she, you know, she and I have had mm -hmm. this discussion ongoing for years. And she's, you know, she's, as she put it, well, I'm not I'm not a creationist. I'm I'm more of a science person. And my response is really mm -hmm. when I see science, I see so much complexity that it can't be an accident. And she goes, oh, no, that's yes, oh. that's exactly it. Yeah. The deeper you look, the less convinced you are of evolution. So anyway, we have these we have these great discussions whenever some new big scientific whatnot comes up. Now she's to the point where she, you know, trusts my own curiosity and our friendship. And she'll just immediately send me the article and be like, um, um, she'll be like, what does the Bible say about this? Mm. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So we do have a we have a responsibility to not back off of this. Uh, now, I mean, that doesn't that doesn't explain to us how to find those openings but once we find those openings don't back away from them don't just assume that people aren't going to listen because they might then they might not you just don't you just don't know and so yeah god says if you don't say something then their downfall is on you and that goes either way. And I thought, you know, the other side of this that was interesting to me was says if a righteous man turns from his righteousness 
which tells me the you know the once saved always saved aspect is right out the door uh because god's telling him that it could happen good that, point that that a righteous person can turn away from their righteousness but if if he ezekiel or i suppose maybe it's on us as well if we uh, as believers don't warn them off from it their downfall is on us they will says they'll die and then their blood is on our hands so that is a dire warning for us as believers of not just shirking a duty of of sharing um sharing you know the messages that god has given us well, the, the book of James addresses that, you know, very bluntly. And it says, you know, if if you know to do something and you don't do it, that is sin to you. Yeah. Right. So the so the so it's not sin isn't just taking action that you shouldn't have done. Sin is also not taking action in some way that you knew you should have. Yeah. I yeah. think it also motiv motivates each and every one of us to with every conversation in any interaction that we have that we seize the opportunity to to lift up god mm -hmm. yeah what does that say um we we will be um called to, to give account for every idle word we've spoken mm. i have a lot of idle words <laughs> <laughs> wait what about the mushroom what were we talking mushroom hush go to your room <laughs> One likes the smart Alec Tracy. Hey, I was intrigued. I was intrigued. <laughs> Thanks for taking the heat off of the off of me for that one, Tracy. I'll be waiting for my bag of shrooms here at the house. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, you see, I mean, like, floor. I mean, I, I've been, I've had years of my life, like entire years of my life, where I was not spiritually focused. I was yeah. focused on whatever was right in front of me and whatever I felt like doing in that moment. And there was a lot of idle thought and there was a lot of idle words and there were a lot of idle actions. And I have to own up to that. You know, someday I'm going to stand before the throne and I have to own up to that. And I have to be able to explain, probably while I'm blushing, that I was just being small and self-centered. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah, talk about a sobering thought. And then and then here's Ezekiel with this special calling, you know, to get back to what we're actually talking about today. You know, here's Ezekiel with this special calling, and boy, does God get pointy with him. He's got to do some pretty strange and specific things to call attention to God's message to message about Israel and about Judah. Definitely, definitely. It's interesting that it calls not speaking a rebellion. Be thou yeah. not rebellious. And he's he's giving him specific things to say, but he says, don't you be rebellious and not say it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this comes after he was told to eat a scroll. So part of his vision is the vision that he's having is this God gives him this this scroll to eat. And he says it's like honey. And that immediately took me to Revelation where right, John yes. was told the same thing. Eat, eat the little book uh, and that book. Someday we'll get down there to it, but that book we believe was probably the book of Daniel. But yeah, do we have do we have any indication of what if this is a specific book that he's being told to read, or is this just some message given just to him to relay? I don't. I don't it, know. It could be something that wasn't recorded in the Bible, or it could be, for example, an interpretation of everything that he saw in chapter one that was confusing. Yeah. And then he's, but, but, you know, prophecy is written in code. It's not for the current generation. It's for the later generations to, yeah. it's supposed to, at least this is kind of my sort of definite layman's interpretation of it. Like I crochet, what do I know? Right. But mm. it's, you know, it's like, it's like, you see, you hear the thing. It's odd. It stands out to you wheels and eyes and, and don't turn and like moving like lightning and like, whoa, that really stands out. But then later something happens and you're like, oh, wait, what was that thing? I remember that thing. And it acts as a road sign. Yes, you're going the right direction. So that's kind of like my rough uh, interpretation of how prophecy works is it gives you this odd symbol or this very, I mean, very seldom is it literal. And then later you go, oh, there it is. There it is. I didn't understand that when I heard it. So I've kind of wondered if these books that the prophets were given to eat, you know, eat over the years, mm -hmm. was maybe the explanation of what was going on. But they weren't allowed to say that to the people around them at the time because that wasn't the point. 
or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it was just it that that just brought up. You know, when we get to Revelation, we're going to remember this in Ezekiel and be like, oh, yeah, this is not the first time we've heard of that concept. I, I've picked up an old book that Irwin had had, my father-in-law, and I was just curious about it. And so I was reading it and the guy was giving an interesting interpretation of the phrase, the spirit of prophecy is the revelation of Jesus. And what really stood out to me was he was talking about in all prophecy throughout the entire scripture Whenever someone is prophesying, things about Jesus emerge. So even though it might be very much focused on, you know, the fall of Jerusalem or whatever, things come out about the nature of Christ. And that was so fascinating to me that we can see Jesus in all of the prophecies. So I just thought I'd tell you guys that. It was a really cool book. Mm. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that is good. That's something to remember, I guess. If you can, if we can remember to look for Jesus any time we come across prophecy. Well, and that verse in Revelation, right. that's like a little standalone verse. You know, blessed are, how does that go? Blessed are the saints, blessed are those who keep the commandments of God. And wait, how does that go? There's something about, for the spirit about. of prophecy is the revelation of Jesus Christ. I, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Ah. Yeah. Fascinating. Hmm. <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, so let's see. We talked about how their blood is on the hands of, anyway, you know, if he doesn't warn them. So uh, it says, uh, verse 25, chapter 3, says, They will bind you so you you can't go out among them. And I'm taking this to be the Israelites because... It was was Judah that went into captivity, right? Yeah. Israelites seems to be kind of a blanketing, generic term that keeps getting used in the book of Ezekiel. Sometimes Judah is talked about specifically. A lot of times they talk about the children of Israel, though, and so it seems like they're kind of it's kind of it's like the 12 tribes type thing. But so, yeah, in this case, we're talking specifically Judah. uh, The the nation of Judah. Um, And I'm taking it that they aren't going to they're not going to want to listen. They're not going to. And I don't know if this is a literal they're going to bind him. So that they that he can't get out there, or if uh, it's more of a figurative because they just aren't going to hear. So you know how my phone kept cutting out. I'm curious if you guys talked about verse five, um, for thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech or a hard language, but to the house of Israel, which is kind of what you were saying, Matt. Like it it keeps using it. So um, the word Israel, but but then you know here it's saying that in the verse that you were just talking about, they're gonna. They're going to tie you up and you're not going to be able to go do your job. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm just curious about that phrase. You are not sent to a, people of a strange speech. You've got people tell them, you know, is kind of what it's saying to me. Yeah, his, his mission here isn't like, say, Jonah, who had to go to a completely different nation, go to a different exactly. place, a whole different culture, and tell them that they're screwing up, that they're doing things wrong. These are the people who have been raised in it. They're the people who ought to know these things already. He doesn't have to, you know, there's not going to be a language barrier. There's not going to be a culture barrier. Um, It's going to be relatively, it should be relatively easy for him to talk to them and have them understand what he's saying. In a practical sense, though, that is often the demographic who's least likely to hear. Don't you feel like like, I yeah. feel like when someone who is completely outside of Christianity or the church or whatever first hears how much God loves them, they're like, I'm in. And then, but someone who's raised in it is like, well, I have all these issues with my pastor or, mm. you know, my dad made me do this, you know. So it, it creates a rebellion in some people. Yeah. Yeah. Was a prophet is, oh, darn it. How does that go? Never Jesus accepted in their own town. Yeah, I think it was Jesus who said that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The people we're familiar with, the people that are most familiar with us, if we come out with some <laughs> message from God, they're going to be like, "What?" You know. But yeah, somebody we don't know might take it a little easier. I don't know. I don't know. But um, nevertheless, having that familiarity should at least make the talking part uh, a little easier for us. Now, what the. There's a part here that I thought was fascinating. I couldn't decide if I 
found it troubling or if it would make it easier. But basically, Ezekiel isn't going to be able to speak unless God gives him something to oh, say. What a trip that was. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, does that make it easier? Or does that or is that more burdensome? I don't know. To have the only words you say be uh, coming from God. That would uh, I'm not I'm not sure how I uh, how I would like that. I, don't know. I mean, does this, does this mean does this mean like all speech except for God direct prophecy is gone? Like you can't walk into Ace and be like, "Hi, I'm looking for the self tapping screws." Mm-hmm. Like what what degree of this? This is so intense. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, I don't know because as we go on and he talks about stuff he's supposed to do, you know, laying on one side versus the other, which we'll get to in a second though. It's like, God is like, I'm going to make it so you can't do the other thing. And so there's, there seems to be like some real hands on stuff from God with Ezekiel here. Mm -hmm. And it almost seemed to me like he wasn't going to be able to actually speak words out of his mouth unless God gave him specific words to say. And so he would have had to, you know, if he was communicating with people, it would have had been through gestures, sign language, you know, make indications some other way. Uh, but actual verbal speech seemed like maybe it only it's only God. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be hard. You know, but I wonder, too, if if maybe that was the reason, because, you know, these things are going. He's he's getting these visions and he's seeing these. I I don't even know if you could call them. I don't even know what you call them besides just visions, but you know, maybe it was just so he didn't cast that like doubt, not, I wouldn't say doubt maybe that we're having, but just not being able to explain it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and causing more confusion than, than he was already experiencing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just so it didn't dilute the message. Yeah. Yeah. We throw too much of our human Try to yep. put human interpretations into it, and it's like you say, diluted. It's diluted. It becomes chaotic because you know he maybe he couldn't even find the words to describe it. So, you know, how would that help another person if you can't even actually describe it? Yeah, you could be actually casting more doubt. Right. Yeah. So I don't know for God to take this hands-on approach. Um. In some ways, I found it refreshing that, you know, if you were in that situation and if you were really committed to to delivering the message that God has and, you know, you know and and uh, God is like, well, I'm going to I'm going to make it so you can't speak unless unless it's for me. Like our pastor, a lot of times, you know, when he gets up and to, to preach and he'll he'll pray. And the first thing he says is nothing unless it comes from you, God. Right. And right. um. You know, I think that's an important prayer for us to keep in our heads, in our minds at least, even if it's just a silent prayer, anytime we're going to talk about God, to keep that in mind, that, you know, our words have to be directed by him. Our words have to come from him, from the spirit, so that our human tendencies don't get in the way, so that our human interpretations don't botch things up. So, I don't know, just a very interesting hands-on approach that God is taking with Ezekiel here. And he tells him, this is, you know, he this is where he gets into some of these different things that he has had has had his prophets do. In this case, he tells Ezekiel in uh, chapter four to basically draw a map of Jerusalem on a clay tablet. <laughs> I was starting to get in pictures of, uh, I don't know, maybe Tracy, you did this when you were little. Maybe you too, Karen. I don't know um, where you would like build these little cities for your matchbox cars out in the dirt. Obviously, I did that. I mean, what self-respecting <laughs> child didn't? Yes. <laughs> you know, well, I, kids these days, I don't think you know how to do that anymore. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, but that's sort of the picture I had here where he's got he God tells him, make this clay tablet, draw a map on it. And now I want you to build siege walls against this thing. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing Ezekiel down in the dirt, like building this little scale model uh, siege ramps and 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 stuff and i don't think i'm too far off the mark with that make this depiction of jerusalem 
being under siege. Yeah, build a ramp, set up camps against it, put battering rams, take an iron pan and place it as a wall between you and the city and turn your face toward. I mean, this is detailed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You shall besiege your tiny dirt city. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been reading a lot of Calvin and Hobbes today, lately too, and I think I could see Calvin doing something like this too, really getting into it. <laughs> but so he has this depiction of the city being sieged. And then, oh man, God tells him to do, I think what would be maybe the hardest thing I've ever heard God ask somebody to do. This would be harder to me than going to uh, Nineveh and, and telling telling the Ninevites that they need to stop, uh, they need to stop misbehaving. Lie on your left side for 390 days. And it sounds to me like he's not going to be able to do anything but lay on that left side. Because but, but somehow he's also supposed to make his own bread out of these sprouted, you know, these sprouted grains. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, so while he's laying on his left side, he's he lives on this reduced ration of sprouted grains and he drinks a reduced ration of water, which let's see. Um, nothing. My Bible had a, a footer that said this is about two thirds of a quart or 0.6 liters of water. This, whatever measurement it gave. Yeah. So that's not much. No, not much at all. 390 Ooh. days. That's over a year. So in yeah. all seasons, Mm-hmm. This is his existence, and this is for the years of sin of Israel. Yeah. Then he's supposed to flip over for 40 days, and that represents the sin of Judah. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's eating what I saw is about, it's about eight ounces of food every day, so barely enough to probably stay alive. Yeah. Barely enough water to stay alive. Now, which the, is directly what it symbolizes. Like that is that mm -hmm. is literal. Like this is what you guys are going to be doing. Mm hmm. Yeah. It's the sort of thing that makes me glad that I have not been chosen to be a prophet because <laughs> uh, I don't know how I'd handle it. I'm asking. Oh, no, I didn't mean that. I meant it's a, it symbolizes what the nations will be going oh, through. Yeah. What Israel oh, and yeah. Judah will be going through the whole no. nation, not the prophet. Well, I know exactly, but what he's going through is go, is going to be a physical rep representation right. of it. You know, he's on starvation rations himself. He's going to be laying on his side, getting skinnier and skinnier for a year plus. He's not going to look super healthy at the end of any of this. You know, when, when if you look at that and kind of put that into, okay, if it's supposed to be a direct parallel to them being, you know, under siege, is that maybe the immobility is their just ability not to do what they need to do. Mm -hmm. Under like the the um, the pressure of the siege, not being able to work, you know, fearfulness, just the containment of it is just that laying there, the inability yeah. to move. Yeah. Then well, you reduce well, the water, the food, which you know they're basically being starved out when you besiege something or lay siege to something. You know, is kind of the best representation of it. Mm -hmm. What you do. What did we read last time? It was about, it was like 30, 30 months or something like that, that Jerusalem was, had, uh, was uh, besieged. Something like that. I mean, it was a crazy amount of time and the, and this, and the population was reduced to absolute misery. Yeah. 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 It, it, it was not pretty at all. Now there's some, there's some time stuff that's involved here. That's probably important to, to point out because he says I've laid on you a day for each year so every day that he's laying on his side represents a year of time where stuff is going on for Israel and Judah and one of the notes I saw see I had to pull out my old NIV study Bible for this one to see what they were saying um, it says the 390 years may represent the period of time of Solomon's unfaithfulness to the fall of Jerusalem. Correspondingly, the 40 years of verse 6 may represent the long reign of wicked Manasseh before his repentance. I don't know specifically. I mean, that's the that's the that's a I suppose that's a possibility because 360, no, 390 plus four plus 40. That's 420, right? Well, I'm pretty sure Solomon didn't rule 390 years. Right. But how long has the nation been around since Solomon's time? Right. So, um, 
I guess, you know, that time is that that time is representing something, but it's the day for the year principle that I is uh, is important to take from this because prophecies often have this imagery of days and you can interpret them into being years. You can't take that for everything in the Bible, but but many prophecies, when it talks about a day, it's talking about a year of literal time. And when it talks about how him uh, taking his food and water said from time to time, it also says that he was supposed to take that like once a day. So when it starts talking about time, if he uses the word the, the phrase of time, we can also interpret that to be um, representative of a day slash year situation here. It's so like 430 uh, days. Yeah. 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 I know my math was probably off i was i i got c's in math guys i'm sorry <laughs> i barely squeaked through that you're feeling a little day. bit under the weather you get a pass <laughs> <laughs> but um so what year did you say um i don't have my timeline bible in front of me what year did you say these visions happened oh Ish. let's see here i think mine said about 605 bc Okay, plus 430, 1,035. Yeah, I'd be curious to know how that how that relates to the span of time that Israel was um was around. Are you trying to look that up? Yeah, no. I'm, I went and got my timeline Bible yeah. in the other room. 1,035. Okay, so, oh, my goodness. Okay, First Chronicles 20 has this on it that's about one year 1035 bc mm. so that's quite a while ago that's yeah. david that's still david mm. okay. so interesting i don't know yeah 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 i don't know i don't know if we're supposed to know oh, wait, we added those together they don't necessarily need to be added together it's not like israel sinned for a while and then they were done sinning and then judah started sinning right you know what oh, i mean that wasn't necessarily overlap yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm saying I'm. Yeah, I'm saying not necessarily consecutive. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, we don't know specifically, and I don't know if we absolutely need to know specifically because I think this specific vision, this specific prophecy, is being given for for that time, for what is happening right then, for because it's talking about the iniquity of Israel, it's talking about the iniquity of Judah. And sort of like this is the reasons why this is happening, because it's been a very long time that God has been trying to work with them, and and they've been and they've been in their rebellion. It is during the time of Solomon. Like if I take that out and I just go back three hundred and ninety years from mm -hmm. where um, where Ezekiel's at, it, you do go back to the time of Solomon. Okay. Okay. So I mean, it makes sense. We're we're basically seeing a history of the children of Israel. From that time of their, oh, what do you want to call it? The, the the grand kingdom of Israel when it was actually good for one king. So now we talked about this bread, and this is where our discussion from earlier come, goes into. He's uh, the way God wants him to bake this bread over human waste. That's disgusting. Pretty gross. It's supposed to be gross, and Ezekiel thinks it's gross. And and he's like, ah, oh, God, I have never defiled myself with something like that before. And so God says, OK, you can use cow dung instead. But the imagery still stands that the children of Israel are going to be that uh, destitute. They're going to be what? I'm sorry. That, they're going to be that destitute. Oh, yes, that destitute. Right. And 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 um, yeah, it's they're not going to be ideal conditions and they're going to be doing things that they would not have considered doing uh, but when it comes down to their their just like basic basic survival they will do things they never considered doing before seen we've read that before remember we've read where bird poop was being sold at astronomical rates for oh yeah you know, yeah and yeah. leather from shoes and you know that kind of thing and eating the livestock that you wouldn't consider eating mm-hmm Analyzing mm -hmm. the people who have already died. That, yeah, that babies we've heard, and so yeah, mm -hmm. I don't think anything was out of the realm of possibilities when you're being, you know, um, starved out basically under siege yeah. for extended periods of time, and starvation is looming. Yeah. 
So that's the that these are the visions that he's being given, at least for starters here, of what's going to happen to uh, the children of Israel, what's going to happen to Judah, things that we've already seen. I think it might have been hard for us to read all those things and study them all simultaneously. So backing up here with Ezekiel uh, just gives us another another slice of that picture of the warnings that they've been given. And of course, now these warnings are for people that have are, are being given to people that have already been carried off, though, because he went he went to those people. They were in uh, what they say, Tel Abib, B-I-B, not not Tel Aviv, but Tel Abib which actually read as the, the same thing, basically. But there's a Tel Aviv in Israel, and then there's Tel Aviv here we're talking about in Babylonia, which seemed like it was like right by the city of Babylon, if my map was pointing me to the right place. So he actually went to these people who have already been carried off, and he's telling them this, this stuff. And I guess this would have been as the siege was beginning. Yeah, I guess that means he went there in one of the earlier ones. Mm-hmm. Seems like it was like the, the first wave of people being being carried off. I'm still trying to figure out where Jehoiachin. Well, Jehoiachin was just before Zedekiah. So there had already been a few, I guess. Um, so I, I'm taking it to be that it's a bit simultaneous that as the siege is happening, God is relaying to the people, uh, some of the people who have been taken away already, what's happening in judah and to jerusalem i wonder would that have been would that have been reassuring knowing that you were out of it or would it have been disheartening knowing that that was happening to your homeland i, I don't know it'd be probably both i mean there's always you know there's always survival's guilt survivor's guilt you know like yeah. I, I got out of the worst of it but i know that cousin so-and-so is still back there facing the worst of it and so i feel guilty having gotten out and yet now i like i would almost rather die on my own turf fighting than to be safe as a captive over here mm. i can see that being a mixed bag of just about every feeling yep. yeah 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 but this is being given to the people who did go i mean because uh you know the message that jeremiah had been giving is don't resist it just go well, so I think some... probably some people didn't have a choice either, but there was a sure. group that was trying to flee. They were they had a way out and they were trying to flee to Egypt. And he said, don't do it. But right. I think, mo I mean, most people didn't have a way to flee and they probably just got taken captive. And then there they were mm -hmm. worried right. about what's happening in the homeland. And, you know, you can't just shoot somebody a text and say, you guys, OK, you know, right. nothing's nothing's. You're just in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. In a foreign land. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, it's, yeah. So in this case, it's not a prophecy for necessarily future. Sometimes it's just a prophecy of this is what God says. This is what God is talking about. What He wants you to know right now. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that's what's happening in this situation. So so yeah, we're seeing we're seeing this this other layer of message to how things are going to go down in Jerusalem specifically, but for Judah generally. Uh, there's going to be siege, how there's going to be hunger and lack of water, and how things are just going to be, it's going to be destitute. And we've already seen how that goes. So so we just look at it with a little hindsight now as we study through Ezekiel. Tough um, stuff. Yeah. Karen's pages flipping. I think it's Karen's pages. Yeah, I'm looking in my timeline Bible just to see, like, does does Ezekiel happen, the book of Ezekiel, does it happen all in a rush, or does it spread out over time? Mm. I was just curious. I saw that his prophecies extend about 20 years. Yep, that's what I'm looking at. So, 20, so yeah, 21 years is what I'm showing. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so, yeah, Jehoiachin wasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't king terribly long and neither was Zedekiah. So I think, well, we'll let it play out, but I think we're probably yeah. going to go into, um, it'll be some of it actually in the captivity after the, the final fall as well. What do we read after this? Do we go right into Daniel? Uh, we'll do Joel first. Once we get oh, through okay. Ezekiel, then we get into Joel and yeah, then we'll get into sure. Daniel. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, a whole, a whole bunch of time right in these few years then. 
yeah for yeah, us right right yeah so it's uh cool. yeah so we're gonna be seeing some shift i think we'll see some shift through daniel and then into or uh, through ezekiel and then into daniel well i think that is going to be our time for this week next week we will be reading ezekiel chapters five through eight while you are reading that and waiting for us remember you can reach out to us at attb podcast at the adventure.org if you have an interpretation of that fever dream of ezekiel in chapter one give us give shoot us a line i'd love to i'd love to hear it and, and consider what uh, what the speculations are on that it would be it would be interesting so reach out to us at attb podcast at the adventure.org uh remember that you can look for us on facebook and uh, make sure that you share the podcast with your friends and family. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.